Hey friends, happy Friday, and welcome to an extra special extended edition of the Friday Take 5. Today's episode is a bit longer than five minutes, and for good reason. We have a guest with us today. That guest is another Mark. Mark Hall, an author, a traveler, a New Zealander, and a guy who is quickly becoming a good friend of mine. Today, we'll be learning a bit more about Mark as a person and as a traveler by digging into some of his incredible travel stories. Let's jump in. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for joining today for our extended episode of the Friday Take 5. It's good to have you. G'day, Mark. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> I've been wanting to do this for uh, such a long time, uh, and I'm glad we're finally getting the opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I think you're one of the first people that I connected with uh, in the Twitter sphere, <laughs> or I guess it's called X now or, or something like that. Um, but I think you're one of the first people I connected with uh, on Twitter when, you know, we, we first kicked off the Friday Take 5. And it's been uh, awesome to kind of watch both of our you know, growth journeys, you with um, Life Went That Way and, uh, you know, the awesome stuff you're doing on social media. It's been great to watch you um, and good to finally have you on the show. So yeah, thanks, thanks for joining. Thanks. For, yeah. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, we, we did start at the same time, didn't we? It's been yeah, an exciting yeah. journey, you know. I'm really enjoying your content. So, uh, uh, yeah, excited to be speaking with you today. Well, well, thank you. Um, you know, I want to kick things off getting uh, the the listeners of the Friday Take 5 um, a bit more familiar with you and, and your story. Uh, obviously, I think I introduced you as a, as a New Zealander, but um, you're so much more than that. Uh, so tell us a bit about yourself. You know, where... Where do you live? What's your story? Um, and that kind of thing. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, uh, well, there is a little bit of difference between us. I'm Mark with a C, so uh, <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I, as you said, I, I live in New Zealand now. I live in a place called Papamoa Beach, which is on the North Island. Uh, my family's born and raised here in New Zealand. I was actually born in Australia, but uh, which isn't an uncommon thing. A lot of Kiwis sort of migrate between Australia and New Zealand. I've been living back in New Zealand now for probably nearly 15 years. I spent a lot of time living in the UK and in Australia, so uh, happy to ha happy here. I do like getting out and seeing as much of the world as I can, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, for, for the fans, I, I think I, I know the story here, but uh, what brought you back from, you know, all your time in the UK back to uh, New Zealand? Yeah, it was family, really. Uh, I've been a, I've been away a long time, and I think what I think most travellers and most people who sort of spend any significant time overseas eventually do come back. It took me a lot longer than most. Uh, I am settled here. Uh, I've got a, a five-year-old and sixteen-year-old, happily set up with Sarah, my partner, too. So this is where we're at at the moment. There are plans to obviously go back and see a lot more of the world. Uh, some of them are more desirable than others but we're we're working on that for now but we're happy we're happy here right now especially in a, yeah. a relatively, especially in the relatively mild winter we're having too so which appears to be better than most of the northern summers at the moment <laughs> yeah uh, well well it's great to hear um you know i i think the the reason our our paths first crossed was um i think i i discovered 
you know, you in the travel space on, on social media. Um, but I, I discovered too, your, your blog, um, life went that way. Um, and I think it's really just a, a great, you know, mission that you, you outline with life went that way. And, and, you know, a great message that you have for people across, you know, your blog and, and into the social media. Um, you know, what, what was the vision for that? And, you know, how, how did you get started in the, the blogging space, specifically, you know, travel blogging? Good question. Uh, it started I, in 2019. We had an extended time overseas, nearly a year. So obviously 2019, just before COVID and what have you. And during that year, I started writing effectively what was a travel memoir type sort of thing based on um, two, decade, two, two decades of travel previous to that. When I completed that project and that book came out, I felt there were a lot of other stories and narratives within the book that I wanted to expand on. And a lot, of that, a lot of that sort of content was basically around these sort of inspirational travel sort of stuff. Now, without getting too woo-woo and what have you, my, my father passed away when he was 40, um, which is, and I was only very young. And when he passed away, there was a lot of things he wanted to do with his life and what have you. So is that sort of carpe diem type sort of uh, mindset I've sort of got within me. And by, by doing things now instead of putting things off, um, then that's something that's, that, that actually people tended to enjoy throughout the book. Through my writing, I hope to sort of inspire people to actually go out and achieve their dreams, to go and do things, to go and do the travel to travel experiences that they want to, as opposed to potentially leaving things for chance. So a lot of them are writing through life when that way is, is along that sort of narrative, um, as opposed to your typical destination guides and what have you. It's, it's, it's very much along the lines of the sort of the inspiration, get out there and go and live actually the life you sort of want through a travel narrative focus. Uh, it seems to be resonating with people too, Mark, which is quite exciting because because I think deep down most everyone or a lot of people want to do a lot of things, but there's a lot of society pressures, there's a lot of career pressures and pressures from parents and what have you, you know, to sort of stick to a narrative, whereas I sort of broke that mould. I'm lucky to have the support of my partner, Sarah, as well, uh, that, that we both sort of had that sort of focus in our mind, you know, and, yeah, our experiences have been life-changing. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but, it, yeah, the experiences we've had, we've given our young son, Connor, who was only one years old at the time, the 20 old countries it's 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 something that we yeah it's, it's something that we truly value and we put first and yeah i've just tried to convey that message through my writing yeah uh i you know as i've followed you i've seen you know you guys are are definitely car- carpe dieming yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> you know see, seizing the day right yes um, yes and, and like f- following you know, your, your heart when it comes to defining where to adventure next. Um, I'd be curious to know kind of what, what goes into your, your bucket list creation. Um, you, you know, what, what, what are the, some of the thoughts going through your guys' head as, as you're deciding, like, you know, where do we travel to next? I think it, you were saying, right, you guys have already been to more, more than 20 plus countries. Uh, walk us through the process. 
I, it's, it's interesting. I am a planner, but I'm not... <laughs> I'm not to the not to the nth degree of the sense that I plan out sort of every day. Back up list destinations. I think it's a bit. Of, it's a cliche. I sort of. I don't tend to talk about bucket lists. I just think about sure. talking about doing really cool stuff. So, um, by that I mean I'll I can get inspiration from anywhere. I'll get inspiration from videos. It could be TVs. Can be Insta reels. Can be Twitter. I find Twitter quite an inspiring sort of. Uh, places source of knowledge for a lot of the things we want to do but ultimately i want adventure mark adventure is something right. what you actually remember as opposed to or what i remember as opposed to as opposed to service level experiences you know what i mean i love i, I love engaging with sort of local communities i love getting to know places well i guess that sort of fits that long-term travel narrative and what have you but you can actually do it on a short-term level as well too so that's 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 what we sort of look at. Well, personally, I've got a lot of adventures that I've sort of got lined up as a bucket list adventures. They're very um, out, outdoor sort of adventure focused, but there's time room for everything else too. Right. Yeah. And I, w- would you say that you know, quote unquote adventure is what excites you the most about travel? Like the, the idea that you'll be able to do something you've never done before, right? 100%, 100%. And everyone's definition of adventure is different. Mine is mm-hmm. basically sort of outdoor focus, uh, uh, long-form trails, uh, uh, doing, yeah, stuff that you typically might not sort of pick up at your local tourist office. So that that's sort of where my inspiration, where my focus comes from. Um, yeah. It, you're telling me you don't love uh, walking through all the museums in a city every day <laughs> on, on big trips? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm in place, um, I'm in place. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, we, we got to talk about, you know, one of, one of your incredible adventures that, that I've, you know, I, I know is prob- probably toward the top of your your memory box list <laughs> um and you know what one, one i've seen and um gotten secondhand excitement about because i know you're you're kind of planning on heading back in the the not so long uh future but um tell us about you know everest base camp um for for the listeners that uh you know aren't aren't yet followers of mark um i'll, I'll let mark get into this but um He's had an incredible adventure in, in Nepal. Um, and, yeah, Mark, tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it, was an ex, it was an extremely influential um, trip, which I did a, a few short years ago. And actually, yeah, it's actually on the cover of my book, so I guess that's sort of as much you need to know. So, yeah, I spent three weeks basically sort of trekking around the mountains in Nepal. It's a well-trodden trail, but it's – ultimately one of those big life adventures, a bit like climbing Kilimanjaro or Machu Picchu. It's, it was nearly three weeks walking through what starts out as sort of big, dense forests, the lower altitudes right up to the sort of moonlight atmosphere, what's actually up once you get up to 5,000-odd metres uh, up towards Everest Base Camp. We went through – you go through a – What's it called? It's called a process, I suppose. When you when you when you're on a trail for as long as what that one is, 
it becomes more of an intimate experience as opposed to just a day activity or a couple of days activity. You meet different right. people along the way. You get to know different people. You you become immersed in what is I call the most spectacular sort of environment that actually there is in the world. It's barren. It's challenging. But what I actually got out at the end of it was something I felt like, again, a bit of a cliche, but I felt like I could sort of take on anything. It's not a difficult to, it's not difficult terrain. It's not, you're not walking up 45 degrees slopes and what have you. But when you're dealing with things like altitude, the cold, um, the, all these sorts of different factors create what is my most memorable sort of adventure. Uh, I do plan on going back. There are other, there are other trails in the, in the region. There is a, there are a couple of peaks I'd like to have a crack at, but as far as, yeah, as far as global adventures that I've done, that's certainly top of the list. <laughs> awesome. And so I, I've heard that the the peak of Everest may or may not be always visible, <laughs> depending mm. on where you're at. Were you able to, you know, behold Everest in all of its glory, or you know, what, what was your experience? Yeah, you first see Everest climbing up from Lukla. You, you, you see it on the climb up to Namchi Bazaar for the first time, which is day two or day three. Sure. And it does disappear in and out of view along the way because in that particular part of the Himalayas, there, uh, there, are, there are dozens of massive mountains around there. So effectively it hides in, in, in different spots. From Everest Base Camp, you actually don't see the peak of Mount Everest, ironically. So it's covered up by uh, Lotsi or Nupsi or one of the other 7,000-odd metre peaks that are sort of in the area. And there are multiple places where you do see Everest. You go up to Kalapatar, which is just... Um, which isn't far from base camp, which, you, which we did at dawn, which gives you that sort of spectacular Everest view. However, along the way, there are actually other far more aesthetically beautiful mountains. My favourite was <laughs> Gamori or Amitablam. Those two, are, those two are the ones that stick out to me, which is sort of in that region, which are the ones I've got more photos of, for instance. Um, and and that's that's saying something since you you live in the land of Lord of the Rings, so mm, you know, with, yes. with all the, <laughs> the mountains. Um, so all, all, all in, what was it like? 10, ten plus days. There was uh, sixteen days, I think it was in the end. Oh wow! Mm. That's yeah, yeah. Oh, between there and back, <laughs> so, so we caught it. Sort of came back through a uh, through a place called the Gokyo Valley, which is a um, yeah, just spectacular glacier lakes, which is, it's it's a bit of a dog leg to sort of come back as opposed to just a there and back trail. Uh, the Himalayas as, as a whole is somewhere I'll encourage anyone to um, to visit. It's it's extremely cheap if that's if if, if that factors anyone's oh. <laughs> other people's mind as well. And for the adventure and, and and experience you get out of visiting parts of the world like that. I just think it's, I think it's the most incredible adventure that's accessible to pretty much anyone. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely on my bucket list. And the fact that it's um, inexpensive makes it even more appealing. So mm, yes. <laughs> um, it's, that's great to hear. Did you, um, did you fly in from like Kathmandu or how, how did you make it to base camp? 
Yes, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Kathmandu is, yeah, Nepal's main international airport. And probably one of the most well-known parts of the trail is actually the flight into Lukla, which is a tiny Himalayan village. I think it's 2,400 metres, no, 2,600 metres in elevation. So Hmm. that's your starting point. And that's actually higher than most places. There's not many places actually who permanent population sort of really above that. There are places in South America which which are, but yeah, but Lukla is a great adventure. It's a I think the run I think the runway is about no, I think it's about two hundred and fifty or three hundred meters long. It's 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 not long at all. And it's basically a runway on perched on the side of a mountain. So basically if you Google the world's most dangerous airport, then uh then that's what it is. But that's the, one of them. <laughs> but the but the Nepali pilots are extremely uh, Extremely talented, extremely skilled at doing it. As, is, our, pilot, it as the, our pilot landed, he was he was having a cup of tea in one hand, so um, he had no issue. <laughs> so is that you know because of one like the short runway, but then I'm sure it's also extremely windy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no radar there. There's no. It's it's, it's all by sight. Awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Sounds it, super safe. So weather conditions. To, it, it's not uncommon for weather conditions to sort of wipe flights out for a day. And, and for instance, the wow. day for the for instance the day I flew in, they had a clear couple of hours, and they rammed in probably I don't know how many flights they rammed in, but it was just a conveyor belt of just flights until the until the clouds come back. So. The way the trail starts too, it is a there's no roads there, so plane or helicopter is the only way in there. So it's very much a case of yeah, making the most of weather conditions when you can. It's exciting. It was an exciting it was an exciting flight. It was an exciting flight. It seems so, intense, but but good yeah. intense. Yeah, yeah. It was when when, it, when when you got there, it was uh, you're glad to get your foot on the feet on the ground. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, I can only liken that to, you know, when we flew into uh, Maui in, in the States, uh, you know, in the winter, the Hawaiian Islands are just smashed with wind. All the, So massive, you can envision, massive jetliner com- yeah. coming in, basically being blown off the, the yeah. runway. Bit scary, but um, good stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to at one point take that, you know that flight, and hopefully stick to landing. I look forward to hearing about it, Mark. Yeah, I would encourage anyone to do that. Cool. So, so once you um, ended up getting there, and you know, ready at base camp, was it like a group of you know 20, 20 mm-hmm. people that you were with, or how did that work out? Nope, three of us. It was three of us and a guide. Uh, oh, and okay. A, and, so and a much porter. taller than I thought. And, yeah, and and the porter. Uh, yeah, it's myself and Italian an Italian guy Massimo and uh, an English guy. Um, his name escapes me right now. So it's just the just the three of us and our guide and um, and a couple of porters who um, who effectively would carry do the heavy lifting for us. We'd just carry day packs, probably yeah, j- j- just with, just with our very much bare essentials. While the porters would sort of go on to the next village where you'd stay and basically set up for the night. That was their that was their thing. We're only allowed 15 that, kilos on the trek, so... <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say, yeah. that that sounds like a yeah. tough job. This, yeah. uh, <laughs> it is, it is. It, it's, it's, it's a very humbling humbling experience, Mark, when you see these guys um, head up and down these mountains and 
Yeah, low, low oxygen and everything, and they're just sprinting oh, yeah. past it's, you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's their playground. It's, it, it's, 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 it's their place, you know, so uh, it, it gives you a, very, a, a real sense of perspective as to sort of what, how difficult our lives are or what we perceive yeah. as difficult compared to what we see that, that these guys do for a living, you know. It's a, it's a very humbling sort of experience, so, yeah. True, true. What what would you say surprised you the most about your uh, you know trek through the Himalayas? What surprised me? I would exp- it was the altitude. It would have to be the altitude, and unless you've not really dealt with it before, it's 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 a really unique sort of feeling where being constantly out of breath is is, 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 quite, is quite a challenging sort of scenario uh, that, that I don't think you, – you learn that your body deals with it. You learn to – you come up with the strategies to uh, to actually deal with it yourself. It's the number one tip that I was told from the beginning, and it's sort of something you can't really – you can't really, don't really understand to actually do it is just how important it is to actually go slow. And mm-hmm. in in, in, in most of our – Places where we live, we just walk normal. There's this whole getting out of breath. We just don't deal with the altitude at right. where we live most of the time. We walk places, we run places. When you start getting up above the four thousand meter elevation sort of level, you're dealing with significantly less oxygen in the air as to what you are at sea level. And if it, probably the easiest way I can explain it is, it feels like you're just constantly you're just constantly in recovery from a from a jog somewhere. That's that's probably the easiest thing. I remember the first time I was I was in a place called Dingboche and there was a small set of stairs to get up into our little cabin. I think it's no more than three or four. And I climbed up those three or four steps just to get into my room. And I was puffing. I was breathing. And and, <laughs> and I, I woke up in the night and just sort of sitting up in bed. And I could just I just felt like I was sort of in that recovery yeah. mode. It's, 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 it's the most bizarre thing. It's not It's not painful. It's not difficult. It's, it's, it is. It is a little bit difficult, but it's very much a, a, a sensation your body just does not normally have. And right. after a while, after a while, it gets better, you know, but it's uh, you, you're certainly grateful once you start coming down and you see start seeing the trees and bloom again, what have you, you notice your breathing comes back, so... Yeah. So, so you're saying that I need to, you know, hop hop on the the treadmill with my 40 kilo <laughs> pack uh, for a few months before I go to Everest Base Camp. Well, that's <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting. And one thing that I noticed along the trail was that there is all shapes, big and small, young and old. Right. I've got a I've, I've got a like a distant uncle who did it. He's he's in his, he was in his 60s, I think. His knees are shot. But he managed to do it, and wow. it's like with anything: the fitter you are, the more you're going to enjoy something. So I'd encourage anyone to go out and get to get get some miles on the legs and what have you, because ultimately that's something you can control. You can't control once you sort of get up there as to how your body's going to react to it, react to it, react to it. It's uh, not everyone makes it there. That's that's not everyone makes it to base camp. Uh, people do get sick. There is a, it's, oh. it's, 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 it's a common, 
I wouldn't say common. It's a it, it's something that does happen. There's a, like sure. what you what you find when you're along the trail because because it, it is a is the same trail at different groups. So look, we're I was only with a very small group myself, but there are the bigger chains. You know the G Adventures of the world, the uh, the, the the Western sort of companies that do take the big groups of twenty and what have you. And yeah, they would lose people along the way. I'm not 100 percent sure of. Uh, the circumstances and that behind it. Occasionally, there were there were helicopters which would have to take people down. This isn't sort of scare uh, scary one because it's it's very it's, it's a small minority of the people that don't make right. it. But it is a reality of the environment up there that that the altitude can yeah can can force people back. But it's uh, yeah, fortunately, I I made it. Everyone in my group made it, and there's just a yeah handful of others along the way that I know that I know didn't. But it's uh, uh, yeah, incredible memories, Mark. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's with any you know any place of natural beauty, but also I'll, I'll say awe-inspiring potential danger. Yes. Um, any any place worth seeing is probably going to present you know similar risks right mm. um but yeah i i think yeah everest base camp is a place that i would undoubtedly want, want to make it to at some point um for for you where would you say that ranks in terms of your all of your world travels uh is it is it number one is it <laughs> further down the list yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting question, Mark. Because it was on my because I did it on my own away, like, like that was that was my great solo travel adventure. Even though I had a couple of others in the group, it's, it was still my solo sort of travel adventure, I suppose. It's my biggest. Yes, it, it would be number one in terms of the biggest adventure. But some of the other experiences I've sort of had have probably, in a way, been a little bit more influential. I'll, I'll, I'll still go back to, I constantly return to three months living in Portugal, 2019, as mm. quite possibly the most influential sort of period in my life as part of my travels, which actually, because in that three months, that's where I actually, actually stopped and stood still somewhere for a long time. And, and actually, that's where I started writing my book. And through that sort of process, it started unlocking a lot of things within myself, which sort of led to things like life went that way and what have you. When you're sort of living somewhere for three months, you connect with people, you make friends, you mm. you create a, almost a home away from home in a sense. And it's something I've always, I've, I've longed for since, to be honest with you. My partner will tell you I've, I've gone about Portugal to this day. And it's something, <laughs> something I'd love, I, I genuinely would love to return to. We actually had plans to do that if COVID hadn't happened. But, but it did. And this is where we are now. So... Yeah, so as far as sort of, yeah, when people do ask what's your favourite thing, yeah, Everest is for a lot of different reasons, but there a lot of other travel experiences I've had equally have influenced, yeah, my journey along the way. That's awesome. Um, so, I mean, obviously with that answer, I'm sure Portugal is still one of the, the top places that you're you know, yearning to get back to. <laughs> Um, but what, what are some of the other top places still on your, and I'm going to say for lack of a better term, you know, bucket list. I, I know you're not so much a bucket list guy, yeah. but, um, what are some of the other places you're still looking to hit? 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. Switzerland, without a doubt, is somewhere that it's one of the few places in the world that I've actually just looked up and it's gone wow wow. And yeah. we all know what we all we've all seen pictures of it. We've all we all familiar with Switzerland, its mountains and lakes and what have you, as you are, as 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 you've you've been yourself. It's a it's 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 one of those wow places. It looks like a painting up close. That's what that's what I find. It's, it's aesthetically, it's far more pretty than the Himalayas in many ways. Uh, so it's somewhere. But by the same token, I, I like I talk about outdoor adventures and not and what have you. But the first time I actually experienced a a place that I was wowed by it was actually Times Square in New York many years ago. Oh, really? For the first time. So, so there is. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just not totally focused on that sort of outdoor, outdoor wow factor as much as I love it. Like I love cities as much. Rome, I loved Rome on my time there. I wish I'd sort of spent more time there. Only I was there five days. It's the sort of place that there's like so much to see in Rome. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, I love. Yeah, Berlin is special memories of Berlin. I was there before Christmas, so I got to enjoy the Christmas markets and what have you there. It's uh, when I wrote my book. Reflecting on a lot of that, it's it, it realised that there's actually so much out there to see that I think you basically open yourself up for disappointment if you try and knock off everywhere everywhere that's right. sort of on your bucket list. Because unless you got a lot of time, a lot of time spare, then then you're just not going to get the opportunity. So I think it's a case of sort of enjoying where you are at that time mm. and. Yeah, and, and they're making the most of that. It's always important to sort of have places you sort of want to get to and what have you. But those places I've just mentioned are, are ones that do stick out. There are places in New Zealand that stick out. Down the South Island in New Zealand here is one of the most spectacular environments I've actually seen anywhere in the world. And ironically, it took me until after I'd done most of my overseas stuff to actually see it down there. And it's, it's on a par with anything I've seen. Wow. Um... Yeah, man, you you've seen a lot. Um, there's uh, there, there's still tons of great stuff to see out there, but I think uh, you know you, you bring up a great point of you know you gotta gotta appreciate where you're at um, because without a lot of time and probably a lot of money as well, <laughs> um, you know, hit, hitting every place uh, is difficult. Um, that being said, I'm not going to stop trying from my perspective. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and, and planning to get out there and, uh, and see as many places as possible. Um, you know, in, in closing, I, I'd love to, to hear, you know, what, what are some of your recommendations for a better travel experience? Um, I, I think you, you brought up the point uh, at, at the beginning of our conversation around, you know, car- carpe diem sees the day, but um, any tips and tricks for the, the travel lovers out there uh, to make their experience better? Yeah. So probably my number one thing is, and I know people go on about it, and it's and it's something that everyone has the opportunity to, to do as such. Uh, one thing I've sort of learned along the way, how important it actually is to actually slow down. Uh, so easy to sort of go somewhere for a week and want to see however many things can cram as much as you can, gain the most out of a, desti- of your de- of a destination where you're going to as you possibly can. And, yeah, and that's 100% a lot like I 
I get that, and I've sort of travelled like that before. But as far as it, it was only when I really slowed down, I actually really got to know a place more intimately that I actually got the most satisfaction. If you know, I, I, I enjoyed the most. So that so that's one tip. Second thing is more of a practical thing, and I've got to thank my partner for this. She's an incredible packer, and, <laughs> and when it comes to taking what you go away, when you when you write down your to do, when you take write down what you got to take away with you, cut it in half straight away because ultimately you're not going to use anywhere near as much stuff as you like. It's different with kids. Uh, probably over half of our stuff was for our one year old, so when we went away for a year easily. So. You don't need as much stuff as what you actually as you don't need as much stuff as what you think. Probably a third thing I'll do is is, is when you're actually there is is actually speak with people on the ground as 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 to where to go, what to do and what have you. So easy to sort of get caught up in a world of Googling everything before you go somewhere. Whereas when you actually get there, you actually get a much more a better feel for a place, better experience, and quite often better prices too, because you can actually speak with people face to face as opposed to dealing with middlemen and paying Western prices in a lot of situations, a lot in a lot of cases. So, so that's my take on it. It's I'm not too sure. It's I said at the start of this, I am a planner as such, but I like to I like I like to I like to do a bit of research, but I often leave a lot of my booked in plans basically until I sort of get somewhere and get a feel for what it is. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the great tips, uh, I, I think I'd seen you tweet about, um, it was probably a couple of months ago now, but on, you know, waiting until you get to a destination for booking some of the experiences, mm. um, and stuff like that too, because I, I'm also very much a planner, <laughs> you know, but I think I, I fall into the trap of like, you know, get, get things all booked as early in advance as possible. Like, you know, we're, we're planning and to, you know, and, and hoping to buy tickets for six months, a, a year out and stuff yeah, like that for yeah. some of our travels. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, to some degree that's useful, but I think you, you bring up a good point of, you know, it's important to, assess once you're there mm. right and and figure out what's <laughs> the lay of the land um to to make sure you're you're getting the most out of it yeah so. uh, ab- absolutely it's a very it's a very you're basically dealing with mar- like without getting into too much other stuff it's you you're basically dealing with a marketing marketing program when you're sort of booking things right. you're doing things from a long way from from the other side of the world you know whereas i find the most value you get is actually when you turn up somewhere you can actually yeah you can actually suss something out yourself and speak with speak with people on the nose speak with people who have possibly even done what you're sort of interested in doing and then True. and then go from there even get recommendations which is something particularly on my trips through asia uh, is paid off in in a big way Awesome. Um, well, you know, tons of great insight and advice, uh, Mark. Awesome travel stories, uh, and you know, on the adventures through Everest Base Camp. Um, you know, th- thank you so much for joining. I, I've, you know, wanted to do this for so long, and uh, I've you know, really enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed, you know, learning more about you and 
and the stories uh, that you have. Um, I know you got tons of great travel stories ahead too. Um, any parting thoughts for, for the listeners uh, before we close things out? I just encourage people to stop putting stuff off. And I, I, I know we've all got our day-to-day lives. I know we've got everything, everything else around it. But that makes me no different. And a lot of the things I've gone out and done and I will continue to do are things that I'll sort of look back on one day and go, I'm really, really, really glad I did that. It's, I mentioned before how it's, there's so much pressure on us, there's so much pressure on us to do things with careers. It could be school, could be families, could be what have you. Uh, There's so many contributing factors, but if you break it down, this is is how a lot of the writing I do these days, um, what's inspired that is, very much that seize the day mentality because you just genuinely don't know what what could happen anytime soon. Right. Yeah? And a lot of, and unfortunately, 99% of it's going to be out of your control. So if you can actually start, if, if, it doesn't mean you have to go and do it tomorrow, but if you can actually start making actual concrete plans and put steps in place to help you go out, live your dreams, go and see these places you've always wanted to do, then that's, that's something I'll always, I'll always bleed on about, and that's that's sort of continuing to motivate my uh, writing, what I sort of share with the world. So, get amongst it, people. No point Great. waiting. That's you know awesome, awesome advice, uh, Mark. It's stuff that I I need to take to heart more, um, and stuff that I I think the listeners can uh, take to heart as well. Um, carpe diem, guys. Seize the day. Hey, Fivers. Thanks so much for listening to the extended edition of the Friday Take Five. Be sure to check out Mark Hall's book, 20, available as a paperback or on Kindle. Also, keep up with his latest adventures on social media at Life Went That Way and on his blog at lifewentthatway.com. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star review, and don't forget to turn on notifications on your favorite podcasting platform. Got feedback for the show? Give us a follow and DM us at Friday Take 5 on socials. Stay curious, stay adventuring, and have a great weekend.